the shorter the race, the more important freshness is. So you could argue that dialing in your openers perfectly is more important if you're a cyclocross racer, XC mountain biker, crit racer, that sort of thing. And then if you're racing unbound, it's like all of this is kind of, I mean, it's somewhat important, but it's, it's marginal. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today we're talking about when you should plan to perform your pre-race openers and what that workout structure should look like, and also giving our takes on race day warm-up routines. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. We here at Ignition swear by the power of Flow Formulas and use it regularly for our training and racing nutrition go-to. If you two are looking to amplify your ride nutrition, head over to flowformulas.com today and use discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your order. Oh, and one more thing. Ignition just announced that registration for the Fall Adventure Training Camp are now open. This will be a five-day training camp held in Townsend, Tennessee, with some of the best road riding you can find in the U.S. that time of year. There's only 10 spots available, so if you're interested, head over to ignitioncoachco.com now to claim your spot. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. All right, let's get into it. Okay. First question this week comes in from Nathaniel. Uh, he wants to know, what is your preference on openers? I've heard the benefits of doing openers the day before and also benefits of doing openers a couple days before. So if you race on Saturday, do you do openers on Tuesday? I'm just wondering what all of you guys do, as well as if there's a difference on what day you do openers depending on the race, whether it's a four-plus-hour marathon or a sub-90-minute XC race. Thanks for the feedback, Nathaniel. Ooh, we were just talking about this, Adam, not too long ago. Yes, we were. Um, well, I would say kind of similar to race day warm up. It's, it's very individual. Um, and hiring a coach, you can help, uh, you can kind of figure that out a little quicker. Um, so typically I would do them the day before. Um, but we actually did a block week not long ago. And for me, it ended up being like, as the block week progressed, I actually felt pretty good. So now we're kind of experimenting doing a bit more intensity the day before. Um, so yeah, I still think the day before, um, coming off, huh? Tell us what you're doing. Like an extended form. And ex- uh, I got to pull it up though, like an extended <laughs> form of, of openers. So we're doing, um, kind of like a couple 45 second all out efforts and then two smaller bouts of over unders. And that seems to be, yeah. So instead of, well. instead of like traditional openers where you'd kind of like, you know, just touch on each of the energy systems, uh, you know, maybe they're doing some type of like tempo to VO2 max ramp or some like short efforts, like a, you know, two or three minute threshold and like a minute VO2 max and like maybe a sprint or two. What we're trying to do is induce a little bit more fatigue in Caitlin's legs. Cause what I've noticed over the last few months is that she actually does pretty well when she carries some level of fatigue in, especially for like some of these longer races that we're doing. So not trying to completely blow up her legs the day before, but we're trying to, you know, extend those efforts. So doing like, you know, two by eight minute over unders where you're, you know, touching a little bit over threshold, but then kind of settling back in, not building too much lactate up, but accumulating a little bit more fatigue. Yeah. So even if we're quote unquote resting into the race, instead of, um, you know, resting like 
the day before going light on the openers, I would do, if I were to take a lighter ride, it would be two days before and then have that a bit more intensity going in um, the day before. Yeah. So and what we were talking about recently was whether or not we wanted to do openers, say, on Thursday or even Wednesday and kind of treat it more like you would a normal intensity like training week. Uh, instead of doing the openers the day before, do the you know push that to two or three days before. Uh, I feel like there's kind of this trend right now where some a lot of people are doing that. Um, and part of me thinks it might be stemming from the fact that it seems like so many more people are doing some of these longer gravel races that you just can't get by with a traditional openers the day before and then racing because then you're missing out on training adaptations from the other days of the week. So it could be some of that. But I think there's also been some, you know, testing or, you know, experimentation with peak events of people doing openers two days before. And that gives you a chance to put a little bit more effort into that workout, uh, kind of open yourself up even more. But then you have a recovery day the day before to shed some of that fatigue. So you're kind of getting the best of both. Like you're 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 doing a you know hard workout, but then you're getting the chance to recover the day before the workout or the day before the race. Um, and I've, I've experimented with, with both options with some of my athletes and myself and kind of had mixed, mixed success. Uh, I actually tend to do better when my openers are two days before. Um, but it, I'm still kind of working through it with my own, you know, kind of training. Uh, so it, yeah, it kind of just depends on, on what works well for each of the athletes that I'm working with. But what about you guys? Yeah, I've been trying to do like kind of similar to what you're doing with Caitlin, but, but a little different in that, uh, the goal I'm trying to acquire is kind of the similar, like, I don't want to, in in the past I would do, if I was racing Saturday, I would do like a Thursday easy spin and then Friday openers. And so that's two days that I've dedicated to like, uh, tapering or preparing for the Saturday or Saturday, Sunday race weekend. And this year, because I'm trying to like, mainly just trying to train a little more than I have years past, um, I've been doing a Thursday two to three hour endurance ride. And then I just treat Friday like a normal openers and I'll still do normal openers. So basically the only thing I'm changing is instead of doing an easy spin two days before the race, I'm just doing like a little bit of a longer endurance ride, like not like a long, long endurance ride, kind of like a medium length endurance ride, but no intensity with that. Um, mainly just to like maintain a little more fitness throughout the season. And then when I have like bigger A races, maybe I'll taper for like I do a Thursday and Friday taper. Uh, but my Friday openers has always been like the same. My go-to openers workout is like one or two five-minute tempo um, intervals, so not that intense, and then like four 15-second sprints, and then that's it. Um, so very short, very sweet. Um, if I'm like at a place like last week or the last two races I've done at a at a place where I've never been, so I'll try to f- scope scope out. You know, I can't pre-ride a hundred miles of a. 100 mile gravel race. So I'll try to scope out the, maybe what I think are going to be the most technical parts of the course. So I'll just pull up the map and find the turniest part and go pre-ride that part. And that's what I've done at both Utah and gravel Nats. I'll just go pre-ride like 10 miles of the course, um, and do that, that openers kind of work out while I'm, while I'm pre-riding. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, I would, there is research on, how what a taper should look like and uh for for the most part a taper should be a reduction in volume but not a reduction in intensity 
Um, and I think we've talked plenty on this podcast about what a taper should look like, but this question is obviously specifically about openers. Um, and I think there's less robust science about specifically what openers should look like. And most of the time, um, in the race week, I know that I probably want two ish intensity days before the race day. And I'll mix it up. Um, most of the time I do do openers the day before the race, but then that other intensity day might be Wednesday, might be Tuesday. kind of depends on how I feel. For example, I rode yesterday, but my legs weren't feeling that hot. So I decided not to do openers on Tuesday and now it's Wednesday and I'll do my openers today. I'll do a recovery ride tomorrow on Thursday and then I'll do openers again on Friday. But I think that openers specifically are probably something that requires individual experimentation. Um, I mean, just as a, just as an example of some, somebody who does something wildly different than me, Alexi, uh, Alexi Vermeulen, who's been very successful in the Grand Prix and is a successful racer just in general, does a four hour ride on Thursday and then just does a recovery ride on Friday. Um, and that, that's not, that's not him trying to maintain fitness. Like he'll do a four hour ride on Thursday before an A race on Saturday. Um, that's how, that's how he, he says he, he gets the best legs for race day. So, you know, I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, yeah. I asked him about that gravel nets. I'm like, cause I saw him on Friday mm-hmm. at number pickup and was like, he was talking about the course and how him and Keegan were out riding. He was talking about how him and Keegan were out riding the course and there was one part of the course that was way harder than they thought it would be. And he was talking about like the day before on Thursday and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You do like your big four hour ride. And when I said like, so what's up with that? He said, I don't know. It's just a world tour thing. And I was like, oh, I guess I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like something that, I don't know, something that he had picked up when he was in the world tour. And I guess it, for him, it works. Yeah, but I, I mean, would say I, that the reason it works, and this is maybe what he's saying when he says World Tour, is that him and Keegan and those guys like have built up the fitness to where a four-hour ride to them isn't as stressful on them as it might be the average racer. Right, yeah, and I think I mean, there's something to having some consistency in your race week too for what you're used to in training. You know. It, if you're used to in training doing consistent four hour rides and then all of a sudden on race week, you're not doing those. That could be somewhat of a shock to the system where you, then you come in with flat legs or something. Uh, you know, so I think, I think that's important to think about too, is a lot of times people get caught up in, Hey, it's race week. Now I got to do something completely different because all of a sudden, you know, I have to do openers the day before I'm not used to doing openers the day before. And like they, their, their routine gets completely out of whack. And I think that's part of why we're seeing a trend towards just going back to like, hey, just do your openers two days before or three days before, because that's just generally how you train. So your body is pretty used to that. Yeah. Um, and say you're listening to this and you're new to racing and you're not sure what approach to take and you haven't been able to do the experimentation that Dylan's talking about, you know, draw from the data that you do have. So if you are on a normal training week where you're you're off on Monday and your intensity days are Tuesday, Thursday, well, how do you feel in your workout on that Tuesday after you've taken a total day off on Monday and potentially a long ride on Sunday? You know, do you feel super during that workout on Mon- or on Tuesday or do you feel better on your Thursday workout after you've had a hard workout on Monday, a light ride on Wednesday, and then your workout on Thursday. So, right. 
What do you guys feel about the um, TSB score on training peaks, like trying to make your TSB positive, whatever? Because I know that some coaches are like, okay, if it's an A race, then you got to be at positive 10 or got to be at positive 20. They got some number in their head about what you got to be at. I feel like similar to the whoop trainings, uh, the score that you get there, it's just like I've felt really good with really low form and I've felt really bad with a, a really positive number. For, so I feel like those numbers, you know, there's a time and place for them. But before the race, it's, I guess in preparation, yeah, you, you want to pay attention to them. But at the same time, take them with a grain of salt. Um you know, the, the algorithm really likes like the long endurance ride. So if you're racing a lot, it's going to show that your fitness is going down. And then, yeah, yeah. It's not always I, the case. I would say I, I focus more on that TSB or form number when, when kind of planning out when we should start at taper or how we should play out the days leading into the race. But I don't get so granular to where it's like, hey, you have to do this, this, and this so that your form number is eight. It's like, mm-hmm. as long as your form's not negative 30, you know, and we're coming in completely smoked, uh, you know, we're trying to come in. I mean, usually most time I'm trying to come in about zero, maybe plus, you know, up to plus five. If it's an XC race and it's like a an A race, XC race for whatever reason, maybe we'll come in with a little bit more form, a little more freshness. But that also usually means doing a harder warm up too because you might be coming in somewhat flat. So, but it, but I use that TSB more so like in the couple weeks before trying to just to forecast like okay, let's make sure we're not coming into race day with a with a form number of negative 25 or 30 where you're completely in a hole and that's that's obviously not good. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I I'll use it on on workout days and on race days mainly to make sure it's not too low. And that is actually <clears throat> I don't usually look at the fatigue or the fitness numbers on training peaks all that much, but I do look at the form quite a bit um, because I just want to make sure that I'm not like overloading athletes. Um, Cause when you are trying to coach multiple athletes all at the same time, it's like, it's, it's, it's definitely helpful to go in and be able to look like, all right, I just want to make sure this person's not at like a negative 20 on next Tuesday's workout. Otherwise, maybe we need to push it back a day like Dylan did today. You know, like his legs are probably going to be flat Tuesday. So maybe we like do something more recovery focused Tuesday and let that form pop up a little bit more and then do the intervals. Um, So, yeah, I use it very similar to how you do, Adam. Yeah, Dylan, what's your uh, form sitting at? It's my current form. I yeah. honestly can't tell you. <laughs> if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably maybe like close to zero right now. And then on race day, it'll be you know, positive between positive, like one and 10. So, so let's, let's touch on the second part of Nathaniel's question here, where he asks if you would perform different openers for different types of racing. Yeah. So the, um, the shorter the race, the more important freshness is. Um, it's more important that you feel super fresh on the starting line, the short, the shorter the race is. So you could argue that, you know, um, you know, dialing in your openers perfectly is more important if you're a cyclocross racer, XC mountain biker, crit racer, that sort of thing. And then if you're racing unbound, it's like all of this is kind of, I mean, it's somewhat important, but it's 
it's marginal, right? Because <laughs> you have mm-hmm. so long out there to ride and how your legs feel for the first 30 minutes is not even necessarily that important to how you're going to finish on the day. Um, so that being said, I mean, I think that, you know, if I was doing a, a cross country mountain bike race versus unbound, I would probably, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, what I would be more conscious of is, um, on the week of the race is trying to make sure that my legs feel as good as possible versus, you know, being less concerned about that. And, and sometimes that means doing different things. Sometimes that, that means maybe you're tired and you feel like you need more rest or maybe you feel, you feel great and you feel like you can add in more openers. Sometimes, sometimes race week, um, I tell athletes and this can be difficult. Again, it's something that you get with experience. It's not necessarily follow the prescription to a T it's listen to your body and adjust accordingly because you can be too fresh for a race. And obviously you can be too tired for a race. So you kind of want to hit it in, you know, at the sweet spot, if that makes sense. Yep. Agreed. You're moving on. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. So this next question comes in for one of our junior listeners. So they say, first off, I'm a longtime listener of both the Matchbox and Bunk Bros podcast and love the work you guys are doing. The question that I have is mainly targeted towards Dylan because I know he has researched the topic of race warm-ups in depth. So somewhat related to what we were just talking about mm. before, but I would love to hear any and all advice. I race XC mountain bike here in a very competitive state of Utah uh, in the high school league, and my first A race is coming up. It is a very chunky technical 23 mile race with 2,900 feet of elevation gain at 9,500 feet altitude. It's a mass start on a very steep, very short double track climb that ends with a pinch point into the single track. How should I go about warming up and pacing for this race? For a little more perspective, I'm in the varsity category with a hundred or so other highly trained juniors with a call up of 20th place. I race every other week all the way through October with a high school league on similar courses. So if this doesn't get answered before, uh, no problem. Keep up the good work. All right. So I think that warm up for a cross country mountain bike race, uh, usually what I have riders do is probably warm up for about 30 minutes. And the first 10 to 15 minutes of that is just zone two. And then I'll probably have them do, you know, a three minute effort, a two minute and a one minute. Um, not necessarily at any given power output, but just again, doing it sort of off of feel. <laughs> Since those efforts are so short, they'll probably be over threshold ish. Um, you shouldn't be maxing yourself out, obviously, <laughs> uh, but you you know you should be you should be giving it some juice. I would say I don't know seven out of ten, eight out of ten ish, and uh, and then leave another ten minutes of zone two riding before you hit the starting line. Um, do you, do you have anybody do um, like? skills warm up like go out on the trail and i don't know like just do some warm up like just getting the feel for the bike or is that something they do before like the day before yeah i mean i guess if that's an option a lot of times that's not an option oh like to get out i know that's an i know that's an option at cyclocross races (laughs) because a cyclocross course is relatively short and it's right there but i feel like a lot of cross-country mountain bike races that's not an option it's like a big loop so you're either if you're doing if you're doing a short track i know there's yeah. always the option. Like the field usually gets out and does a lap right before. Yeah. Um, Short track I always feel, I always feel better warming up on trail. 
That's what I was kind of getting at is like, there's an element to like warming up your elbow joints or whatever it is to like, or just getting a feel for the bike again, like that day on trail, you know, like, yeah, you want your legs to be warmed up, but you also kind of want to be mentally, I guess, prepared for the technical parts of the course, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the second part of his question was about pacing, right? Yeah. So kind of just wondering like how to pace the start of the race. So it's a, it's, I must, I don't know the course really well, but I'm assuming that, you know, there's single track in it and your positioning in the single track matters quite a bit. So just like most cross country mountain bike races, the start matters a lot, I'm assuming. And, you know, pacing kind of goes out the window for the first, for that first climb, however long that first climb is going to take. Um, and then you can settle in, uh, which obviously is not optimal pacing if you were just out there alone doing a time trial of the course. But it's kind of the nature of cross-country mountain bike racing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's why a proper warm-up is so key, because that first minute of an XC race is super critical. The fight yeah. or however long it takes to get to the first, you know, he's talking about the first pitch point, like. However, however long it takes to get to that first stretch of single track where everything uh, narrows down to single file, because you could think you're in good position and you can see the front of the race, but then all of a sudden the single track comes and you're slotted in 30th place. And that's that's huge. Like if you could have bumped up another, you know, 20 feet in the group and, and then slotted in 10th place, that's going to make or break your result right there. Uh, not to yeah. say you can't come back from a, you know, a a bad start or, you know, a, a lower position, you know, we've seen guys like Tom Pidcock ride his way from the back of the field to the front, but it, it's going to take way more energy. It takes a ton of skill. Uh, you know, not everyone can do that. So, you know, the further up you can get, and then once you hit the single track, that's, you know, oftentimes your chance to like take a quick breather. Uh, you know, the, the pace will kind of slow down a little bit sometimes, or even if it doesn't, like you've solidified your place there for the next minute or two, because you're probably not going to get uh, you know, swarmed by a ton of people on the single track. So that's why, you you know, you kind of go full gas until you hit that first single track stretch. And your body's going to handle that effort a lot better. Had you gotten your heart rate up to where it's going to, where it's going <laughs> to, dog's going crazy. Your body's going to handle that effort. Um, if you had gotten your heart rate close to where it's going to be in that first effort in your warm up, if that makes sense. Yeah. So going so, back to the warm-up, that's what I was going to ask you, Dylan. You you mentioned kind of throwing power out. You know, not really worrying too much about power, but focusing more on RP. But do you do you have athletes look at heart rate at all when they're going through some of those efforts? Yeah, you can look at heart rate. I I mean, uh, the efforts that I was talking about three minutes, two minutes, one minute are they're also so short that your heart rate doesn't have a lot of time to respond to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, three minutes maybe, but especially two minute and one minute it's you know um your heart rate is not it's not enough time for your heart rate to even respond to what you're doing i mean you can look at it for sure but generally rpe is what i'm using for okay for warm-up efforts sure yeah because a a warm-up protocol that i'll do a lot of times for cross-country uh athletes or cyclocross athletes is heart rate ramps where Mm -hmm. you know like you said warm up for 10 15 minutes just nice and easy and then kind of stair step you know do do a seven out of ten RP effort until you hit one fifty heart rate. Let it drop back down. Do it again until you hit one sixty. Drop back down, and then maybe go a little bit harder to hit one seventy. And you know, assuming that one seventy is probably where your heart rate's going to kind of settle in 
early into the race and then drop back down and then, you know, cruise easy after that. But kind of like what Caitlin was saying, it lets your heart rate get up to where it's going to be early into the race so that it's not as much of a shock to the system during those first five minutes where you're kind of going full gas. Mm-hmm. Um, if your heart rate's going to get up to 190, maybe you don't, you don't need to quite get that high, but at least hitting kind of that threshold heart rate range, uh, lets your, gives your heart a chance to just, uh, prepare for what's coming. Yeah. I'd say threshold heart rate range. Everybody's heart rate is different. So yeah, you know, 170 for, you know, most masters racers in their fifties, like that's ridiculous. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, 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 it obviously yeah, depends on very for everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're talking like high end of endurance, high end of, you know, or middle of tempo and then somewhere in like the mm-hmm. low to mid threshold range. Um, and let's those, talk about, oh, go ahead, Keelan. I was just going to say, and those zones, those numbers that are appropriate for that altitude, because he, it sounds like he's from Utah. So he's probably from, you know, some substantial elevation. I don't know if he's from 90, like he's acclimated to the 9,500 feet that he's going to be racing at. Um, so that's something to keep in mind because you don't for want, sure. yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would point out. Real quick, and then this is he's he this guy's trained for a mountain bike race, but something that I always tell the athletes that I train for cyclocross warm ups is that either the day before or during your openers or the day of your race, you wanna get at least one full lap at race pace, mm. which is very doable for short track and cross because the course is right there, it's only two miles or whatever, and it's very doable. So uh it, like warming up on course is a normal thing that most cross riders do. I think a lot of people don't do it at race pace though. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a, cr- a, a cross course or course in general is a totally different course at speed than it is when you're just pedaling around with your friends or just pedaling around easy. Um, and so whether that looks like, you know, an easy way to do that would be to do the first half hard recover and then go back and do the second half hard and then that would be a good openers or a good warm-up but uh, i just think it's real important to do a race if it's feasible to do a whole lap of the course at race pace to really or you know in 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 the race that he's talking about maybe the you look at the most technical parts of the course and you do those at race pace because obviously a 23 mile course you don't want to just go out and do that the whole thing hard but maybe you do hit very important parts of the course at race pace because um, those sections are going to handle differently at speed than not at speed. Yeah, like you don't need to go out and hammer up the double track climb at race pace. Yeah. Like that's not going to benefit right. you a whole lot. But ripping some descents or some fast corners or uh, yeah, any of those technical sections for sure. And same with yeah. the cyclocross course too. Like you probably don't need to hammer on the flats or the straightaways as much. Like if you're trying to do a full lap at race pace, maybe you recover on those straightaways, but then you're kind of accelerating into the corners and out of the corners. So you get a feel for what the traction and some of those lines are. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've like been in a cross course and been like, dang, I didn't realize how sharp that turn was when I was warming up because I like didn't go fast enough in warm up to realize like, oh, that turns a little sharper than what I thought it was. <clears throat> Yeah, and, and it's super important for cyclocross, too, because that, that helps you dial in your tire pressure. Yeah, right. Uh, so one one more aspect of this that I want to talk about is timing of warm-ups. When, when do you want to start and finish your warm-up ideally? Hmm. Well, I think that very much depends on what the, what the, what the start of the 
I, <laughs> like what the start logistics of the race are. Are there call-ups? Are there not call-ups? Do have, if there are call-ups, do you have a call-up or do you not have a call-up? Is it just like first come first serve? Um, you know, because it's going to dictate when you need to end your warm up. If it's first come first serve, it, it kind of sucks for your warm up because if it's a race where your starting position in the corral uh, really matters, then you kind of have to forgo your warm up to get a higher placing up there. You, it's almost like you don't even get a warm up because you have to arrive at the starting line so early. If there's some sort of call up system, which hopefully there is, it's it sounds like this person has twentieth position call up. Yep. And I don't know when that starts, but make sure you know when that starts. And I would probably end your warm up. I don't know, five minutes before they say they're going to start calling people up. Right. Yeah. Cause in, in keep in mind too, they're going to call up first, first, number one, first. True. So mm-hmm. you don't get to, you know, like the people that are getting called up last actually have a little bit of an advantage because they have maybe an extra five minutes that they could extend their warm up before they're going to get called up. But those those riders that line up first, they're going to get called up first. So uh, you have to you have to you have to know exactly when that call up is going to take place because you don't want to miss that call up for sure. Yeah. So Dylan, kind of on a related note, so that this weekend uh, at Schwamigan is first come first serve. What mm-hmm. will you do for a race like that where you you want to get a good position in the corral, but you yeah. also it's a very hard start and it's a fast right. race. So so you know, warm ups important. Yeah, I will, what I will say about the Schwamigan start is that the starting area is pretty wide, so there's a lot of room to line up. And there's probably only going to be, I don't know, three rows total, if that. Um, so and, and there's not a single track pinch point. So I don't want to say the start doesn't matter because the start does matter a lot. And if you get dropped at the start, that's basically a race done uh, right there. But... Um, probably what I'll do is I'll, I'll warm up within very close proximity of the starting line and keep an eye on it. And as soon as I start seeing people taking up the front row, I'll go, I'll go over and I'll line up. And that might be 20 minutes before the start, uh, which is obviously not optimal or it could be longer. It could be 30 minutes before the start, which is obviously not optimal, but that's probably what I'll end up doing. Are you on a trainer? I didn't bring a trainer with me. I know that Keegan and probably a bunch of other people are going to be warming up on rollers. Mm-hmm. Keegan was warming up on rollers before Leadville. He knew what was about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously worked. Uh, cool. I think that answers the question here. And I was going to say something else. We, we have this debate all the time when it comes to crit racing. Because in my mind, I come from a mountain bike, cyclocross background. So a start for a crit does not matter it's an open course there's no pinch points i mean if every turn is a pinch point then maybe but like literally you could just move up whenever you wanted to in a crit course yeah you might have to burn a match or go harder than maybe you would have to but like to me moving up in a crit has never really been an issue so like i've never thought that sitting in the corral for an hour before a crit made any sense at all but me and my roadhouse teammates would go back and forth on this because i I I hate sitting in the, like, especially like at Tulsa, it's like you're there for an hour in the corral. And every time I still end up at the back, it's like, I don't know how we're waiting there for an hour. We're at the front of the corral. And then somehow from the corral to the start line, somehow I just get pushed to the back anyways. And I'm like, man, I wish I had just went and rode and did my warm up and like 
just rolled up to the finish or rolled up to the start 15 minutes before the start, like a normal human being would. Uh, I just, there's an aspect of nerve that goes into like sitting there nervously, anxiously waiting for the start of a race for an hour. And I, I don't like just sitting there in that, in that state of anxiety for an hour. I'd rather only spend 10 minutes in that state of anxiety and out riding. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're on the topic of warmups at what race distance do you guys no longer even prescribe any warmup whatsoever? Or do you just pers- always prescribe some sort of warm-up, no matter how long the race is? I think temperature plays a role, too. So regardless of how sure. long it is, if it's if you're going to start cold, you, you don't want to start cold. You need to have a warm-up. But I would say, like, the ultra-endurance mountain biking, so, like, 100 miles, it's not super important. Um, but if it's an early morning start, cold, kind of groggy, you need to spin the legs. So not a ton of structure. But again, trying to get your heart rate elevated because there's going to be some level of elevated heart rate on the start just because of nerves. So I feel like if it's a uh, if it's less than an hour and a half, you need to get a solid warm up in. And if it's longer than an hour and a half, you probably an hour and a half. Dang. What other rate? I mean, there's like uh, to me, yeah. there's two options. There's a one hour cross race and there's a six hour gravel race. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, I'm either warming up a lot for a one-hour gravel race or not at all. I or, mean, sorry, for a cross race or not at all for a gravel There are races that are like in, be- two hours. in between yeah. one hour and six hours, you know. I know, but <laughs> um, to me, those are the two categories. Yeah, and I, I, and I think it depends on the, the, the course, too. So what yeah. I would say, like Dylan, you were asking would we prescribe. Uh, for most athletes where we're going into a longer race and, you know, we're going for a time goal or maybe a placing goal, but not trying to win the race or, you know, get on the podium, uh, probably not warming up in that case, like more focused mm-hmm. on, Hey, let's get your bike ready, get your nutrition ready, you know, make sure you've got someone to take your jacket if it's cold out, that kind of thing, but not so focused on the warm up. But if, but if it's an athlete whose goal is to try and compete overall, and it's a six hour race, but the course starts with a 20 minute climb, you know, or 10 minute climb that the first selection is going to be made through. We might do a little warm up because that yeah. those first 20 minutes are going to be important. And, you know, the race could be made or bro- broken depending on how that first climb goes. So we might do, you know, something not long, but, you know, maybe a five or 10 minute tempo effort just to kind of get yourself warmed up, get the juices flowing kind of get you ready for that first climb knowing that after that you're probably going to settle in anyways but if you miss that first selection it could be make or break yeah i'll add a note for warm-ups um this is something i feel like might get neglected but when you're warming up you're you're burning calories and you're burning carbs and so mm-hmm. you should be you should have carbs in your bottle even during the warm-up um yes like so, in a cross race i've got a separate bottle for warm-up and a separate bottle for race if i'm racing with a bottle yeah and that's important too to, to remember is Let's say you're warming up for half an hour. If you if you have two bottles on your bike, which is you know theoretically going to get you through two hours, you don't want to start the race with half a bottle empty. So have that third bottle ready that you can use for warm up, so that you still have those two full bottles to start the race. Unless you only need an, an yeah. hour and a half worth of calories, but but keep, just remember too that whatever you burn through in warm up, you're not going to have that in your bottles or in your pocket to start the line. So make sure you have whatever you need when you're starting. So that goes to the you know, a point that I was going to make about warming up for long races. And I see, a, you know, I see people warming up 
before Unbound. I see people warming up for before Leadville. Keegan was warming up before Leadville. Um, personally, if I was Keegan, I would not have been riding on the rollers before Leadville. Uh, and the reason for that is because there's 15 minutes where he's just drafting Tobin at probably his endurance pace before he hits the first climb. That's his warm up right there. Um, he's warming up in the race. And the reason why I, I think pro it depends on how hard the start is going to be. I agree with you, Adam, but I would say at the point where you're getting to races that are going to last five or more hours, you shouldn't do any warm up. Um, and the reason for that is because we're getting into territory where the amount of glycogen that you have is a determining factor, um, for how you're going to do in the race. And you, you know, you're burning glycogen in the warm up. I want, all of the glycogen possible at the starting at the start of the race. I don't want to have it. I know it's a 30 minute warm up would only be a very small deficit in glycogen, but I don't want any deficit whatsoever. I want so I want my glycogen gel, levels 15, take a gel 15 minutes before the start. You get your solid warm up in and, you know, it takes yeah, 15 I, minutes like, for I that gel to kick in and there it is. The, the other thing is gel and no warm up. I'm I'm doing a gel and no warm up, <laughs> especially before especially before unbound. Like, man, who? So you got to think if you're warming up for 30 minutes before unbound, you're turning a 12 hour day into a 12 and a half hour day. And who who has ever gotten to the end of a 12 hour unbound and been like, let me ride another 30 minutes? But you <laughs> did that at the beginning. You rode another 30 minutes at the beginning. I, I would argue if it's taking you. 12 hours for unbound then you're probably not starting that hard so you probably yeah don't no i mean no one's starting that yeah. hard at unbound but yeah. yeah well you said over six hours there's a big difference between a six hour race well, and a 12 even, hour race. i mean you definitely Le- need a warm-up even even leadville even leadville for example who's gotten to the end of leadville and been like let me ride another 30 minutes like you don't ride anymore you hit the finish line and you're done. <laughs> if, if I had to um, ride 30 more minutes at Leadville this year, I would have been in the hospital for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, and, and Leadville, I mean, if they, let's just theoretically said they started Leadville at the base of the St. Kevin's climb, which is the first climb. So it was going to be super hard right from the gun. I would consider doing a warm up, even though it's going to be a six hour race. But the way that Leadville is where you've got, 15 minutes of downhill road slash gravel. I don't see any point in doing a warm up for that race. Like the start of the the first 15 minutes is your warm up. Yeah. And it's a, it's just important to know to ha- to have done your homework so you have some idea of what the first 20 minutes of the race is going to look like. Cuz if the first 20 minutes of the race you can cover that ground and be in the position you want to be with ease, for sure you don't need any warm up. But if it's going to be a struggle or if it's going to be a hard effort, maybe not a struggle, but a hard effort to get in the position that you want to be in for whatever reason, that's maybe when you consider the warm-up. Only if position matters early into the race. If position doesn't matter early into the race for whatever reason, because you you know you can play the long game and pace yourself back into position later, then yeah, it goes back to you probably don't need a warm-up. I want to make a note about temperature. Um, it drives me nuts when I see people at a cross race and it's 80 plus degrees and they're warming up on the trainer drenched in sweat. Like, I don't care if you've got five fans on you, you sitting there drenched in sweat doing a warm up on the trainer. I just feel like is a whole lot of like wasted energy when you could do that same exact warm up 
out on the road and have the cooling effect of the wind, keeping your like core temperature in your body, like way cooler than sitting there on the trainer, just like boiling. And I know people say, oh, well, the consistency of the trainer is good. And you know, all that. I, I don't think that outweighs the, you just getting sitting there boiling. Uh, and I see it every year at Virginia. Virginia is like usually super hot. It's the first cross race. And I feel like people look around and they see other people on the trainer and they're like, that's what I got to do. And I'm like, (laughs) no way. I'm, I'm going out on the road and doing it on the road. And yeah, I, yeah. Core, core body temperature has a huge effect on performance. It's, it's, it's insane how much core body temperature has an effect on performance. I mean, if we're talking about a hot and it, it has a bigger effect the longer the race is, but you know, if we're talking about, I'm talking about gravel here, I'm not talking about cross because mm-hmm. that's what I know. But if we're talking about a hot gravel race versus perfect temperatures, it's easily a 30 to 40 watt drop in power over the course of the race. So yeah, you don't want your core body temperature to be excessive on the starting line. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anything else to add about warm-ups? I think that's it. Yeah, I think think we killed it. Killed it. All right. Thanks, guys. See you back here next week. All right. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go!